Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 30 minutes or less to get one proven idea to run a more successful and scalable and sustainable business. As always, we are joined by somebody who is doing the job that you are and uh, trying to do it as well as they possibly can and and has a proven history of being able to run a successful and scalable business. Uh, The guy I have with me today, you're going to get to meet in just a moment. A couple of words I wrote down about him. Visionary. He's able to see around the corner of the industry he happens to be in and think about what the future needs and can look like. He's a gentleman at the the very essence of who he is. He's a really good human being, somebody you would love to spend time with. I think he's been very courageous in running his business and the, the work that he does, and he's very creative. So with that, I want you to say hello to Kelly Miller, the CEO of Ross Resorts down in Southern Pines in the Pinehurst area of North Carolina. Kelly, welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Well, Ed, nice to be here. Uh, nice to see you and uh, and speak with you. I always enjoy my time uh, with you. You were uh, you're in charge of my marketing. You're, you were too kind, but uh, thank you very much. <laughs> well, well, usually we're doing one of two things. We're either having breakfast. Uh, before the day starts and uh, getting ready to go wherever we would, you, wherever you go, and and me playing around a golf somewhere in the area, and then it's then it's oftentimes we're in that wonderful in the rough lounge at Pine Needles Resort and having a glass of our favorite beverage later in the day. But we're not together physically, but I've so enjoyed wanting to have you be with us and and our audience to get a chance to know a little bit about you. I always find it fascinating how people end up in the careers they're in. And you and I have had some of the conversation about your journey to be where you are. But why don't you tell people, how does someone become the CEO of a, of a golfing resort? That, that, that generally, I'm guessing that wasn't your plan at, at, as a junior or senior in high school. No, well, I guess I'd say married well uh, with a mm-hmm. great wife. Obviously, I had no idea, you know, when I got out of school, I went, uh, came from Indiana, went to play golf at, at the Harvard of the South, the University of Alabama. And so when I got out of school at Alabama, I still had, uh, I got done playing, I still had six hours of school left. And so there's a wonderful man, Bob Barrett, who's gone on to become very successful in the club and golf management business. Uh, He was the uh, head professional, uh, director of golf and head bottle washer at uh, Shoal Creek, Alabama, uh, which was a brand new golf course that was just open. And, uh, it was so new that they didn't have a GM, but he hired guys from Alabama that were coming out of school to see if they wanted to get in the golf business. So he was nice enough to hire me. And uh, that's really how I got into the golf business. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I played golf my whole life and worked at a pro shop, you know, uh, through college and mm-hmm. everything else just to, to make a little bit of money. And I thought, well, maybe in the golf business. So, you know, it was really uh, through Bob Barrett that uh, was nice enough to invite me. And then, kind of maybe thought maybe being a, a PGA pro is maybe what I want to do. That's kind of all I knew about. But uh, one of the neat things about it is, uh, you know, it's not often, it's not always, you know, finding out what you want to do. It's also finding out what you don't want to do. You you know? and, that, mm-hmm. and I encourage uh, people, especially young kids, you know, to do the internships now to see, 
you know, even if you think you want to do this, go find out, go work in it and see if that's what you want to do. And uh, working for Bob there just because they didn't have a general manager at the time. So he became the general manager. Uh, You know, again, this is back in 1981. You know, he was there. I think he was there when Shoal Creek started, maybe in 79 or 80. And so uh, he learned the business, you know, just doing all of that. And then, like I said, fast forward, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, his uh, his company was called Honors Golf, and he manages a bunch of properties. And uh, and I bet a lot of that came from uh, his experience at Joe Creek. So you said you married well, and explain to the listeners about your uh, marrying into the Bell family and yeah. and how that obviously had a huge impact once you once you learned what you didn't want to do and might maybe wanted to be in golf business. Right. Explain that that other tumbler that fell into place. Yeah, my wife, uh, Peggy Ann, was the youngest daughter of Peggy, uh, Kirk Bell, and Warren Bell. And they were the owner-operators of Pine Needles in uh, Southern Pines, North Carolina. So you know, I came out here in spring break our senior year and came out and met Mr. and Mrs. Bell. And and really, they couldn't have been nicer. And, uh, you know, I, my first visit ever to the Piners area and just really driving down Midland Road thinking that was the most magnificent road I'd ever been on in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So I immediately fell in love with the area and then uh, worked at Shoal Creek uh, for a while. And then Peggy Ann and I decided we we were getting married. You know, we didn't really know what we wanted to do. And so I spoke with Mr. Bell about perhaps coming out and and maybe learning the business. I mean, it was a great way of still staying close to golf, but it was more than just being uh, in the pro shop. There are people in different businesses like uh, CPAs, there happen to be people who are CPAs that happen to be in business. And then there are business people that happen to be CPAs. I think of you as a business person who happens to be in golf. Um, I, I, I've, I've always thought of you as I think you would have would run a great business no matter what it was, but you just happen to get to do it in the area of golf, which happens to be one of your passions in life, right? Well, yeah, I'm one of the really lucky guys in life that I get to do something. I mean, I've, I've never thought of this as work one right. day. Well, maybe now it's a little bit, a little more <laughs> uh, You know, just to be able to wake up and go do what you love to do and a business that you love to be in and to be around people. You know, so uh, I'm one of the really lucky guys in the world that looks forward to coming to work every day. Yeah. Yeah. Not many people get to do that. I think most most of us have to pursue something outside of our vocation to be our avocation. But uh, you and I are, are very similar in that regard. Not everybody who listens to this podcast is in a closely held family business. And you've been through the ups and downs of that. Were you aware of that when you joined the family and working at Pine Needles? There were these challenges of being in business with your loved ones? Yeah, Um not really, uh, you, you know, coming from being it's kind of a raw rookie, you know, basically yeah. only yeah. in a, a pro shop when I was a, a kid growing up and then working in the pro shop as a, basically in, as, an, as an assistant pro. So when we came out here, actually, Mr. Bell, he was contemplating selling the business at the time. I don't think he ever would have. But uh, truthfully, I think now in retrospect, what we found out is that he just wasn't well and he had cancer. You know, and so he died fairly suddenly. Uh, he died really within a year uh, of, of us coming here. I mean, I came. I didn't know that, Kelly. Yeah, so really when I came here, he was a, well, it was a real bootstrap guy, um, uh, Warren. 
neighborhood. Everybody called him. His nickname was Bullet. And he was tough because he was a basically he was a high school graduate. He went to school, I think, for one year at Ohio State, played basketball there. But kind of a self-made guy that uh, uh, that really through just his guts, determination, desire, and vision, you know, created pine needles. Would you call him an entrepreneur by the normal oh, definition? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very much both him, both him and Mrs. Bell, you know, yeah. they didn't, uh, you know, they just love, you know, there was one of those who they just love golf and wanted to get in uh, on, on the business of it and uh, ended up getting involved with Julius Boris and the Cosgrove family, you know, and bought a third of an interest in pine needles. And that's really how they got into it. But then I don't know how much of the history you want to go. Uh, into. Well, we, we don't have a lot of time, but you, yeah. you've given the flavor of it that you really didn't know what you were in for and being part of a closely held family operated business. Do you, I mean, you learned along the way that there are things that are wonderful about it and there are things that are really difficult and hard about it. Right. Yeah. You know, um, Bullet became a great, when Bullet really, when he found out that he had a cancer and it was pretty well, far along and did surgery just basically open up and close them back. And then after that, he actually became a great teacher, you know, and just saying, trying to impart all of this as fast as I can to you, you know? So it was very helpful. He taught me a lot, you know, in that short time span, you know, when did you assume the responsibility of, you know, president or CEO of the organization? How long ago was that? Uh, let's see. Bullet died in 84. And then and uh, there was a gentleman here and he was a nice man, but he, they had, uh, unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, um, we had to let him go. So let's see, I'm 24 years old now at the time. And so Mrs. Bell said she, you know, she said she'd do it. So I went there with her and it was a hard thing because this man had been with them a long time, you know, it was a tough thing. So, so now all of a sudden, you know, we're 24 years old. And the, the fortunate thing that, wow, that we were left with was when bullet had just retired the note. So we had no debt, you know, so we had, and, and we had a little bit of cash, you know, left. So uh, in the end, I ended up learning the business probably the best way that you could. Is we just got in there and did it. Yeah. You know, was just Peggy Ann and myself, I being an early riser, you know, I'd come down here and I did kind of the, the morning and the day shift. I'd get down by six o'clock to, to open up. And then I'd work through really kind of through dinner through eight or nine o'clock and Peggy Ann would come in at three o'clock and then she basically did the night audit. And so she'd work till 11, 1130, you know, and we did that for <laughs> a years. Oh man. And it's a, Seven day a week organization, yeah, what mean, basically uh, 12 months out of the year, more or less 65 24 7. I mean, yeah. we have, I mean, even now, you know, we're not even open, but we're still here. You know, somebody's got to be here, yeah, every day, 24 hours. You're listening to the Ed Epley Experience. Email Ed now with your questions for today's guest to podcast at theepleygroup.com. In his book, Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros, author Ed Epley breaks down key practices of professional management, how to implement them, and why it matters. Purchase your copy on Amazon.com today. 
develop your competitive edge for the future while building a sustainable and thriving business. I don't know if you know, I wrote about you in my book, Let's Be Clear. Um, I uh, really applauded and still do the move you made uh, to change the strategy of the business back in the, I, I don't know, was it 2009 or two, 2010? 9, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I want you to tell the story about, uh, first of all, uh, Bullet's uh, <laughs> feeling about having members in his, in his golf club and then, and then why you changed that strategy. Yeah, I mean, Bullet used to say it a little bit on my list. He always uh, joked, and, you know, he had members when he started out here because he had to. You know, and then he would say he didn't want any members. There'd be a guest that come through and was a really kind of a pain. Yeah. And he'd say, you know, he said, that poor son of a bitch, that pro back home, he's got him every day. You know, <laughs> and just, you know, that was the kind of guy that he was. I mean, he was very honest <laughs> as the day is long and truthful and, you know, very forthright. And that's, and even in business, he did that. You know, and if you weren't, I mean, men, uh, there was quite a few times, you know, when somebody was complaining and Bullet would just, you know, there was a little intercom. I'm sitting in what is now Bullet's office and he had this little intercom. He could listen to everybody. And if somebody was complaining at the front desk, he'd just stroll on down and he'd say, look, I guess we just can't make you happy. He said, I am sure you'll do fine over at the Piners Resort. Said, Let me get your money back. And he literally he'd give them their money back. And these people would be saying, no, no, no. And he's like, oh, you're going. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I've never heard that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another great story with you know he packed somebody's bags and he was standing on the behind the 18th green with their luggage, you know, and said, "You're out of here." So yeah, he was uh, that, Kelly. That could be actually a couple of members in my group that that would happen for us. So I got, I got it. We might have to arrange for that to happen with a couple of the guys that I bring down there. Never happened. So talk about he didn't want members for that reason, and and that was what you had inherited. And so 2009, we had the great financial crisis. So you had to make a decision. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, through the years, uh, obviously we had first started acquiring land. So we had uh, acquired roughly uh, approximately 500 acres uh, adjacent to Pine Needles and thought we were going to build more golf uh, back there because I, I knew people would want to play more than one golf course. Well, then the opportunity came to buy mid pines. So in 1994, we bought mid pines. So how we which had, is across the street for our audience. If you, literally, if you, right if you, yeah, literally across the street. So it's very close by. Yeah, Go so ahead. Your equipment and personnel and everything else. So it's like effectively having 36 holes, um, but it had its own history and everything else. So that kind of put a you know we had two golf courses. And then with the land, we knew that once we started developing the land that we were always going to have members, you know, because we had the most expensive amenity already done, which was we had the golf courses built. And so it was a matter of, of integrating membership with uh, the, the hotel and resort operations. Uh, and then obviously when 2000, you know, eight, nine hit, you know, we needed to do something. So we said, well, look, we'll start the membership um, because Anyway, 500 acres in golf, only about 30% of the, uh, and that's a high number, only about 30% of the houses actually end up joining the club. So we knew we always had enough ability to take 
local members here and still will have room for the folks uh, from the development. The other thing we wanted to do is, you know, we had people ask, uh, you know, hey, have you ever had a membership? We'd like to do that, you know, and join from afar. And so we developed a national membership and then we also have a state membership. And, and actually we have an international membership. I think we've got six international members. And so, and really the pur- purpose of the, um, uh, of the state and the, uh, and the national and, and obviously the international as well is for them to come here and stay. So you, you get a really reduced room rate to come here and to stay. So they're utilizing all the facilities. They're utilizing the rooms. They're utilizing the dining, and they're utilizing the golf. So, how many members did you end up with? If you don't mind me asking for our audience, four hundred members. Four hundred. Okay, isn't a lot of for members. thirty-six holes, right? For thirty-six holes, so that's that's not a lot. And, and there's only about roughly about hundred and forty that are what we call Sandhills members, which are people that are here within fifty miles of here. So, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of people utilizing it. You know, there's plenty of space. And I have told folks, even uh, the members that we had, you know, because I met most of them when we were going through the program. And I would tell them, look, here's here's the deal. We It is busy in, in our peak season. You know, we have got, you know, uh, March, April, May, September, October. So you got five, uh, you got five months, four weekends. That's, you know, that's uh, 20 weekends. And you got Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, there's 60 days where it's, it's pretty busy, you know. One of the things that also your resort and a large part, thanks to Mrs. Bell, uh, has always catered to women golfers. Right. Did you view that as a strategy or was that just a personal preference that Mrs. Bell had and you, you honored it? You mean continuing it on? Yeah. Well, it was a, uh, you know, I mean, Mrs. Bell was really a pioneer, you know, pioneer being, you know, a charter member of the LPGA flying her own plane way to these tournaments way before Arnie ever flew a plane and then just really in business, you know, you know, nobody ever really gave her enough credit for being a sharp businesswoman. Yeah. But there hasn't been a business decision that I made that I didn't go through peg with first. And she'd be like, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. When we were going to buy land. Yeah. Let's go ahead. We got to do that. Mid pines. You got to go buy that. I don't care what it costs. You know, and she really was. She had a she had a great sense of business about her. Now, the de- details. I mean, the business side of it, kind of the nuts and bolts of it, not so much. But she also had a great detail side in terms of uh, coming in, looking at for lights and set up place setups looks like, and all yeah. that of uniform. So she well, was a, she was a sharp gal, a very sharp businesswoman. Yeah, and, and she had a, a sense of style yeah. that uh, she knew what looked good and 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 would add to the feel that you wanted for your brand. I have I have no doubt about that. Yeah, she made a mention about you know bookkeepers and CPA. The same thing was true with, with instructors. There are people that teach for a living, and then yeah. there are people that love to teach. Yeah, that Peggy Bell loved to teach. She didn't even care if she made any money. Right. You know? She just had that passion. She wanted to help people. There's a video of the induction of Mrs. Bell into the Golf Hall of Fame from yeah. last fall, right? Was it last yeah. fall? Yeah. And um, that is, uh, if you're a history uh, buff uh, at all about business, and if you're a passionate golfer, it's it's really fun to watch. Yeah. Um, I would, I would well, well deserved for her. Yeah, very well deserved. Do you think you're a visionary by 
nature? Do you, do you think it's instinctive to you to be a visionary, to have uh, uh, you to see what others don't necessarily see that's possible? Or do you think you've learned that? What do you, th- do you think you've always had that or did you just develop it over time? I think you're kind calling me that. I'm not so sure I'm a, a visionary at, at all. Um, you are. You I, are. Maybe I, I, I can almost think of it more just kind of street smarts, you know, is what I kind of, you know, what's out there, um, you know, just in terms of knowing that we needed more, you know, uh, acquiring land and, and then acquiring mid pines and, you know, the memberships. I mean, all that, it all just kind of makes sense. Uh, as it relates to it, um, I'll need a lot of street smarts and a lot of visionary with what's going on here now. I mean, yeah, the- we're in the midst of another crisis. And I was going to ask you, how how do you think this compares to 2009 and 10? Um, oh, I think this is by far worse. And now, I mean, financially, it's worse just because, you know, like for us in the resort business, we've lost our Christmas. You know, we're March, April and May are the three busiest months that we have. You know, and so if we open back up again in June or July, I mean, it's still slow for us. But uh, a lot of what's what's happened and what is happening, the social distancing, that stuff is not going to go away for a while. The business travel, you know, the, the Zoom and all these other companies that uh, that come out, you know, in our, in our industry, uh, the hotel and resort business, we were always the first that would notice, you know, the pullback. Uh, with this go around, everybody got hit with it. So it happened. Right. Uh, also, historically, we're the last to come out of it because people don't have money, to, discretionary money to travel, this or that. So, I mean, this is uh, this is really significant for, for our business, for our industry, for our area. So um, I'm actually uh, on an advisory board for the uh, state of North Carolina. Senator Rick Gunn has kind of put together with and it's a good idea and the fact that he's like look you know all these plans are you know people want money or what this or that i want to know what should we do when we get the all clear on this how do we proceed forward yeah he said i won't mind going to the legislature to ask for some money but he says i gotta have a plan i can't just say hey i need 15 million bucks you know we need right. to have a plan because no truthfully nobody's gonna have any money you know, right. uh, just because your business has been shattered, you know, by this. I see, I see a couple of things that are different and I keep the differences become more clear in my mind. One big difference in 2009 and 10, it was a terrible financial crisis because the underlying, you know, banking system was, was in default and had no capital. And so it was it, the liquidity of the ability of, of businesses to operate was just was put in in jeopardy. But personally, our health wasn't in question. So if we had the means, we could continue to be, you know, socialize and be around and be with others and not not be worried about living. And we weren't worried about getting toilet paper, uh, things of that nature. Uh, So today we've got that personal um, uh, threat to our our well-being that was never there in the last recession. But the other thing in this one that I still haven't got my head clear around is we have clear winners and losers right now that we didn't have before. And, you know, the grocery stores and and the supply chain people and that are doing it remarkably well. And the Amazons and the Walmarts with their ability to deliver and 
so forth. They're killing it right now. And there are a number of jobs right now, tremendous number of jobs are unfilled. Like what I think I saw this morning, 8 million jobs are unfilled right now. People are in the wrong jobs, you know. So I'm not sure where that all goes. But the question I want to come up with is, is your effort to lead the organization much different today than it was 30 days ago? Are you doing much different or or is is your style of leadership and what you're doing pretty much the same, just talking about different things? That's a pretty good question. I, I, I would say it's different because this this time it affects so many more people. I mean, adding to your thing, uh, comparing to 2008 and nine, you know, that affected a lot of people um, in the financial sector. And what this has affected is everybody. I mean, yeah. people that now have, you know, waiters, waitresses, bartenders. I mean, people that before they were still working in 2008 and nine, you know, yeah. maybe weren't as busy or anything, but they had a job. And so now this, this is remarkably different, you yeah. know, and it affects so many more people. So, you know, like for, uh, for me, it's just trying to figure out, first of all, you know, we're a small family run corporation. So, I mean, we've got so many people that have worked for us for so long. I'm just trying to hold on to as, as many as I can for as long as I can, you know, and then hoping that we can, uh, you know, I, I, realistically, what do I think? It's probably a June or July by the time this comes out. So, you know, what are we going to look like at that point? And then, you know, we're trying to take care of the folks, a lot of folks that have been laid off, Actually, you know, with uh, some of the state unemployment and the federal unemployment, they're actually going to be okay. But we got to help them just because a lot of them, they don't, some of them don't know how to work a computer or go right. online and file this. So, I mean, it's a lot of time for our staff, um, you know, just doing that just to make sure they they get there. And, you know, because you feel for these people. I mean, they've got families, they've got bills to pay and everything else and, and haven't accumulated a lot of wealth. So they live you know, closer to paycheck to paycheck, which is really, really hard. So we want to at least provide that transition for them. So we're doing some things to try and raise some money. Uh, Pioneers did a great job. They raised about $300,000 in an auction for their associates. So we're going to be doing this, a similar thing. We've got some, uh, some people and friends in golf that have been very generous with offering some stuff that'll, uh, which I could say something right now, but I don't really want to say it right now. So really just to get to our associates so they can, uh, we pledge to, you know, for 60 days where nobody's going to lose health insurance over this. You know, that's our commitment. You know, we're just, we want to make sure that we can do that. And then really uh, we had a little bit of a, a little discussion today at our, uh, we get our uh, exec team together and saying, okay, we are going to come out of this. So what, what are we going to look like? We're going to be a smaller company, but what do we need to do? What's the hotel room? of the future going to look like. It's not going to look like some of the rooms that we've got now where you've got kind of neat bedding and you got five throw pillows on it and all the other stuff. People, I think the biggest thing people want are going to be concerned with is their safety and their health, you know? And so what does that look like in a hotel room? And what are, what are the other things that we have to do? You know, I mean, are, are we going to put bar seats six feet apart from me? Are we going to have fewer seats? fewer tables and all that other stuff. So some of that's probably okay just because we're not going to have as much business. Uh, I tell a, a, a funny story and it has, it's not a funny story. It's actually a neat story that a guy named Joe Jemsick, I don't know if you remember the name, but he was kind of the godfather of golf in Chicago uh, on the Cog Hill. And I remember in 91 when the, you know, I'm pretty young at that point, 
you know, and uh, another downturn. Yeah. yeah, and another downturn. And I was actually on the board of the National Golf Course Owners Association. And uh, uh, I was up there and I said, well, Mr. Jemsek, I said, have you ever seen anything like this? And I said, I don't know what the heck we're going to do. And he said, son, let me tell you something. He said, I lived through the Depression. He says, and, you know, even during the Depression, people will play golf. And he said, your job is to figure out how do you survive during that period? How do you scale your business? You know, and I remember that to this day. So um, I love the fact that you and your team are already thinking about what are we, you know, what should we look like? What does the new business model need to be to survive and thrive going forward? And I, my friends and I, you know, would have been down there a couple of times in the, in the last 30 days if the situation wasn't what it ended up being. But I, the sitting, the camaraderie of sitting around in the rough lounge is, is uh, yeah. something that I've even noticed in my local golf course here that uh, we we're still playing golf but we can't go have the the beer, the the soda, the cocktail afterwards. And that is so much a part of what we expect in the game. And we, the socialization part of it, we got to figure out a way to what that's going to look like for the business when we get through this. And I'll be interested. I, I know you'll be helping figure that out. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a, it'll be a big part of uh, yeah. not just for us, but the industry. By the yeah. way, when, when you do the fundraiser for the staff, let me know about the, the round at golf at Seminole. Cause I, I, yeah. I want to bid on that. You um, and I, Anyway, (laughs) I got to ask you this. uh, Who do you think has most influenced you as a leader? Who's the role model that if you have one or or the person that, you know, really impacted the way you conduct yourself as the leader of a business? You know, uh, I would say it all starts out. I think a lot of it has to do with your upbringing, you know, so I I certainly start out with uh, obviously my mom and dad and my, my dad a little bit more just because of it's just kind of the way that fathers did that. I and mean, now he was a high school principal. He wasn't really a businessman, but just instilling you in, in the qualities in you that you'd, I'd like to think that I've transferred to, to my children. So it, yeah. I, it kind of starts out there at the core. And then I was fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Bell, well, Bob Barrett didn't, you know, showed me what I wanted and what I didn't want. You right. know? And then uh, of course, working, uh, with Mr. Bell, uh, you know, I probably learned in a very short period of time, I learned, a, I learned an awful lot from Mr. Bell and uh, uh, just, you know, what to do, what to look out for and everything else. And then of course, being associated with Mrs. Bell and just chatting up her, uh, that's been terrific. So I've been fortunate uh, to have, you know, these people. So I, overall, just because I was with, with with Mrs. Bell so long and, uh, and admire so much. And, uh, you know, her stuff was, you know, she wasn't just a, uh, a golf teacher. She was a teacher in life. Oh yeah. That's yeah. what I said. And so she taught me uh, a lot of life lessons as well. And, you know, it always just seemed to keep going. I've got a, a wonderful new partner, uh, her restaurant now that, uh, uh, one of the kindest, most gentle man, a, a very, very successful guy that, uh, uh, that I'm learning from as well. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that Mrs. Bell taught me. Uh, and she probably didn't realize she taught me, but she always was learning, you know, and listening. I mean, I remember when, you know, the NGF used to do these seminars here at, uh, at Pine Needles and Gary Wyron or Jim Flick or Bob Toski was getting up there and, you know, she's in the back of the room. Let's, uh, what are you, I said, Miss Bell, what are you doing here? And she'd say, she goes, oh, I'm learning, 
you know, and so you're yeah. con- you should be constantly uh, listening. She was curious. And she learning. was always curious. Yeah. yeah, very, very much so. Well, we have one more, more responsibility for our listeners, is, and that's for you to offer up one proven concept or idea that you think is just absolutely crucial to running a more successful and scalable business, a sustainable business. So if you had one thing that, you know, and maybe this is something you would tell your kids or somebody you cared a lot about, if they, if they were going to say they were starting a business, you would say, if you don't do anything else, you better do this. What would that be? Well, it's kind of what I've told my kids. I said, first of all, you know, do something you're passionate about and that's something that you love because life's short. You, you know, I mean, I, and I tell all of our associates that, that come here, I said, you know, if you don't like what you're doing, I know we all would love to do something else maybe, but if you don't really like, uh, at least like what you're doing, do something else because life is way, way too short, Yeah, you know, to, uh, to not, not want to go through it being at least happy, you know, I think, um, you know, and then really just learning your, learning your business, you know, uh, I mean, that's how I did it. So that's what I would encourage of, you know, if you find something you're passionate about and then you go learn the real basics of your business, um, you're, you're gonna, you'll, you'll be successful because whether you're doing it for yourself or what you're going to do is you're going to make yourself more valuable for somebody else. So, uh, you know, find your passion and then uh, really know, uh, really get in there and dig. And no, I mean, I would have never known that getting in and learning about the, the agronomy business. And that's yeah. why I would people in the, in the hotel business or somebody young that wants to get into this business. I said, get in there and really know, you know, uh, the golf business and, and, and more than the golf business, it's, the golf course business, yeah, may not be that glamorous and every. I mean, the, the, the maintenance of it, but that's such a huge component of our business. And I'm fortunate now that I was kind of forced to learn that, but it's it's helped me out an awful lot. Like right now with what we're going through, he's a gentleman. He's a visionary. He's a most importantly, he's just a good guy, good human being, and and he's been our guest today. So Kelly, thank you for being here today. And my admonition to our audience is if you love golf and you've never been to Southern Pines and Piners, you need to go. And when you get off Route 1 coming from Raleigh, uh, you turn right onto Route Number 2, which is Midland Road, and you are in a canopy of pine trees, and it is it is remarkable. If you don't love golf, it's still a great place to go and visit and and uh, just enjoy yourself. So, Kelly, thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you for asking me, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you again, hopefully uh, often down here. And then we do we do have to get out and play golf. We, we will do it as soon as as soon as the travel restrictions are lifted. I yeah. will be in Southern Pines. I promise yeah. you, Kelly. I'm put you down for tea. Thank you. Be well. Right. Be safe. Thank- Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.